Hello, this is Andy Mangum, and you're listening to Sunday Starter. This is a podcast devoted to looking at a Sunday on the Revised Common Lectionary, looking at a text on that Sunday, and providing a non-chatty start to the Sunday preparation. Today we start with uh, Revised Common Lectionary, the first Sunday after um, uh, Pentecost in year C. And for the next uh, five weeks, I'm going to be looking at some psalm readings that are listed in the Revised Common Lectionary, uh, doing a series that tentatively is called From Wonder to Honesty. Uh, So this week we'll look at Psalm 8, and next week Psalm 42, and uh, with the theme of longing, uh, Psalm 77, with the theme of memory, Psalm 30, with the theme of transition, and Psalm 82, with the theme of honesty. So we begin with Psalm 8. Uh, Psalm 8 begins, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. If you use the revised, uh, New Revised Standard Version, it starts off, O Lord, our sovereign, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Um, I you know, grew up listening to Christian contemporary music, and so, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name uh, in all the earth is a, is a chorus that I am very familiar with, and so it's hard for me to not say, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. But if you have a Bible that does uh, use, O Lord, our Lord, uh, and, and even if you don't, uh, look, at the, look at the text of the Bible, and one of the things you'll notice is that the Lord, in most of our versions, uh, the first Lord is written in all caps. It's usually written with a, a big uh, first letter and then uh, smaller capped uh, lowercase letters. But uh, I realize that's a uh, re- uh, contradiction, right? Small, uh, uh, all caps, uh, lowercase. But uh, what would normally be lowercase are in all caps. Uh, when, that, when that's there, uh, what the English copy of the Old Testament is telling us is that in the Hebrew, the word used there is the, what we call the tetragrammaton, the, the, the word for Yahweh, which normally we write in English as Y-W-H-W. Um, and I am one who, uh, who believes out of respect for the Jewish uh, uh, faith that uh, Christians should be very careful about how often we use the word Yahweh and, uh, and the ways in which we speak of it. Uh, um, there are reasons that um, that that uh, our our, uh, our our friends uh, who are Jewish do not uh, do, do not say that name aloud very often. Uh, so. Um, uh, so, but but that's a, that's a helpful clue as to what uh, the Hebrew is saying for us in English. The psalm is framed by the sovereignty of God. The psalmist prays, "O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth!" Both at the beginning and at the end of this psalm, and the, and the name, the tetragrammaton uh, Yahweh, is at the beginning and at the end of of the psalm. It goes on to say, you have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouths of babes and infants, you have formed a bulwark because of your foes to silence the enemy and the avenger. Now, this part of the psalm, uh, I'm told, I don't read Hebrew, but this part of the psalm is, uh, I'm told, difficult to translate. It comes uh, toward the beginning of the psalm, out of the mouths of babes and, and infants, you have founded a bulwark. The New International Version translates, you have ordained praise to silence the foe and the avenger. And the Hebrew is tricky. We're not entirely sure what it means. Uh, But in this context, the psalmist is gathering together 
the ways that creation evokes reflection on people's relationship with God. It appears that this too is uh, one more way of saying that God speaks and God speaks through children. Uh, we have, of course, everybody has some, some cute moments that we would want to throw in here. I remember uh, one Sunday when uh, one really loving child, lovely child, uh, came forward for children's moment, and as she walked down the center aisle said, yes, 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 yes. And uh, it was a beautiful moment. It was a moment that speaks, uh, that child's now an adult, and so, uh, uh, but uh, it still sticks with me. I uh, also remember sitting next to a child that I had gotten to know a little bit at Vacation Bible School. He, he and his family were not uh, uh, regular attenders of worship, but they came to worship uh, on the Sunday after VBS, and uh, so I was sitting next to them trying to make them feel welcome. I was not preaching. It was not my church, uh, but, um, but when it came time for communion, that inner uh, part of me that just doesn't like to see people take communion if they don't know what they're doing leaned over and tried to explain explain communion uh, to this little boy, and I think maybe he got something, uh, but the real message was received by me, because when he put that uh, thin little wafer of bread in his mouth, he said, mmm, and I realized that as much as I thought I knew about communion, this child had experienced it in a way that I had not. Uh, and those are some those beautiful moments, and I think we should celebrate those and pay attention to those. Um, but I also think we got to, you know, be careful not to limit uh, the ways in which God communicates to us through children to only those moments that are cute. Um, my wife is a career educator. She works with high school students now, but uh, spent many years as a kindergarten teacher. I'm the father of three children, grandfather to two. I've been a youth minister, a vacation Bible school volunteer, a children's choir and Sunday school teacher, camp counselor, Weeblos leader. And my informed opinion on this subject is this, kids are not always cute. No kid is cute all of the time, and some kids aren't cute any of the time. At various points throughout childhood, every child stinks. In varying degrees, every child is a stinker. They can be loud, disruptive, disheveled, cranky, uncooperative, distracted, uninterested, dirty, cluttered, and mean, and that's just my three. I haven't started talking about your kids. As much as we'd like to talk about how children have those beautiful moments when they are filled with wonder and imagination and insight, if that's the only time children convey the Word of God to us, that leaves big swaths of time unaccounted for, and it leaves children completely out of the equation. Uh, if we only pay attention to the well-behaved children, we overlook one of the primary places where God speaks to us. Listening to children is like listening to reading the Bible. Neither the Bible nor children make a lot of sense at our first exposure. If we make a decision about what we're supposed to hear, what they're supposed to say, before we start to listen, what we will likely hear are little more than echoes of our own nostalgia which is often confused with the Word of God, but rarely is the Word of God. Here are some ways, I think, children, when they are being difficult, still model for us the kingdom of God. Children hold us accountable for being consistent with what we say we believe. Children, in their own way, using their own language, ask questions like, how is this fair? How is this just? How is this Christ-like? How does this manifest the kingdom of God? I'll grant you that's uh, not the wording they use. Typically, their accountability sessions begin with the statement, but you said, has anyone ever successfully negotiated out of their, their way out of a conversation that begins, but you said? But such moments call us into moments of humility. 
Uh, if insightful and beautiful moments of children's praise silences uh, the foe and the adventure, then the challenging, difficult children will take the inner ally and ask them to question whether they're making the best choices. I think this is the first step to understanding God's word. Uh, we will be able to receive God's word if we, if we uh, enter into it with wonder and, and awe and be, be, uh, be prepared for the unexpected, uh, be prepared to, to see and hear things we had, had left uh, unexplored. If we cling to our perceptions and demand that uh, the world conform to and the children conform to and that the Bible conform to uh, our preconceived notions, then I don't know that we will ever grow. Uh, So the psalmist continues, when I look up at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and stars that you have established, um, the the psalmist is gazing into the night sky and uh, and observed the vastness of the universe in which we live, the moon and stars set in their place. The psalm moves to to name humanity's role within creation and asks this existential question, what is humanity and our children that you are mindful of us? Uh, what, what, What do we do with who we are? in this space. What are mortals, uh, verse 4, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? What are mortals that you care for them? Uh, I do prefer the the language again from the New International Version. Uh, What is man? Uh, We say woman. What are people that you are mindful of them, mindful of us? What are our children that you care for them? You have made them a little lower than uh, God and crowned them with glory and honor. Other translations will translate that you have made them a little lower than the heavenly beings. Uh, and you have given them dominion over the works of your hands and put all things under their feet. Now, Psalm 8 imagines a world where the Creator has made and embeds uh, our participation within the work uh, that, we, that, that uh, is entrusted to us. So God is the Creator, and we have been made stewards uh, over the work that is there. So uh, where the, the, the Bible says you have given us dominion over, uh, we, I believe, ought to interpret that uh, not as domination. I wish we had a better word for them, uh, but, but maybe stewardship. You have given us stewardship over the works of your hands, and you've put all things under our feet. I imagine a group of pilgrims, uh, maybe your congregation, making their way up a, a mountain path as the sun is beginning to set. It's my favorite part of the day. Old people and young people, everyone in between those carrying babies must lead the procession along with the small children that we all want to see arrive safely at the top of the mountain before it is dark. They sing as they go. No, this is not a psalm of ascent. I know that. Uh, but they sing, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I'll spare you, podcast listener, uh, from listening to me sing. But from these lips of these children and these infants, uh, the congregation uh, listens and, and arrives. I was in worship a few uh, days ago where uh, the children's moment included a prayer that we all recited after the pastor who was uh, giving the children's moment. And if you listened very closely, you could see the uh, six or seven-year-old girl. You could hear that six or seven-year-old girl sitting close to her praying. And it really was uh, something that humbled and spoke word of God to us. The congregation arrives there on that vista and gathers together in solemn reverence. A prayer forms within the congregation. When we gaze into the night sky, the moon you have set in orbit and the stars you have suspended in space, who are we that you know us, that you name us? 
Who are these children of ours that you watch over them? Looking down at the dark valley below, we can see the shadowy movement of cattle across the moon. We see the hawk fly over the distance. We see the shoreline and imagine the fish and the creatures who live in the water. It names our role in in relation to all of this as dominion, as authority, as stewardship. It is the call to nurture. It draws us into focus on that space in which humans and God collaborate in the care and nurture of creation. There's a story about George Washington Carver, the African-American pioneer and world-renowned agronomist who found some 105 uses for the peanut. The story goes, and I found this in Nature, God, and Pulpit by Elizabeth Actemeyer. The story goes, when I was young, I said to God, God, tell me the mystery of the universe But God answered, that knowledge is reserved for me alone. So I said, God, tell me the mystery of the peanut. Then God said, well, George, that's more nearly your size. And he told me. Verse 7, all the sheep and oxen, all the beasts of the fields and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and whatever passes along the side of the sea. The psalm catalogs the creatures that have been created, sheep, oxen, and hippo, bears, lions, cardinals, sparrows, finches, wrens, halibut, tuna, dolphins, and eels. What are your favorite animals? What is the, the ordering with which you do things? Perhaps you're familiar with the binomial nomenclature of animals, and maybe you remembered King Philip could only find green snakes as a way of remembering kingdom, phylum, order, genus, species. These varied creatures, um, though, are uh, unique in their own right, and they have been placed under humanity's watchful eye. The psalm gives no explanation for why humanity is so blessed, nor is there a particular ethical agenda implied here, though we certainly would derive them. Instead, the reflection on creation begins and ends with praise and wonder. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. The God of creation is the God of Jesus Christ, the Lord who makes the covenants and calls the church into being. The creation is a part of the church's story and identity. It's not just the theme of the first three chapters of Genesis. The doctrine of creation emphasizes the ongoing relationship to what God has made. Creation isn't a project that God started and finished on the sixth day. It is a project that continues to go, and God calls us to step into creation and to wonder and to listen to children, and to see the world around us, and to gaze at the stars, and in all other that God has created, to hear God's words speaking to us, and to respond with praise and wonder. Is there more than praise and wonder that we bring to creation? Absolutely. But it does begin with wonder, and moves to honesty. Well, that's our Psalm 8 for uh, this week. I hope uh, that some of that has been helpful, maybe stimulated some some thoughts for you uh, to think about as you might approach Psalm 8, what children say to us. And I encourage us not to be overly uh, sentimental about that, uh, that we would also think about creation and our role in creation, but most of all that we would see in this psalm the wonder with which God uh, invites us to engage God. Have a good day, my friends. Redeem the commutes, for the drives are indeed evil.